0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right to Read initiative. My name is Dr. Catherine Garforth from Garforth Education. And today I'm really excited because we have two members from Pearsons uh, joining us today to talk about the role of assessment. And they're both coming from different backgrounds. Llewellyn was a teacher uh, and Tina... I can't remember, were you a school psychologist or a speech and language?
1: Speech language pathologist.
0: Speech and language pathologist. Yeah. So today our conversation is all about the role of assessment and how it can help us support our students with additional needs. And really looking at it from the specialist perspective and from the teacher's perspective, because there is so much valuable information that we can find from these reports uh, and these assessments that can really help us understand a student's individual unique needs. But before we go into that, I want to invite Llewellyn and Tina to both give us a, a quick background about who they are and what they do. So I'll start with you, Llewellyn.
2: Everyone, I'm Llewellyn Marlatt. I am an assessment consultant for Pearson, and what that means is whenever you call and you want to talk about any assessments uh, inside of the classroom assessment product line that we have, um, I talk to you as much as I can possibly talk to you about any assessment that's just making your heart beat, and we try to find uh, the right fit for your students so that you can best serve them. Yeah, but you have worked in the classroom as well. Oh my goodness, I have worked in <laughs> classrooms all over the world. I um, am proud to say that I was a military spouse for uh, 20 years, and so I've worked everywhere from Germany to New Jersey to St. Louis area, um, Florida. Um, I've I've been around a lot of places, so I've been able to wear a lot of hats as as we move around. So um, it's nice to see how people use assessments. Um, and for which purpose they use them across, across the world.
0: Awesome. And what about you, Tina?
1: Well, thanks for inviting us. Um, I, my name is Tina Eichstedt and I'm a speech language pathologist. I did my early career clinical work in acute care actually, uh, neuro and trauma. So I was in the neurology of many things. Um, in that early part of my career, but now I sit um, as a senior product manager at Pearson and my role is really to shepherd a domain of products that we carry. I work closely with folks on Llewellyn's team and the assessment consultant world, but I am responsible for the business side really at this point of a series of assessments that we have in the achievement domain. Um, and now after my clinical work, I try to still keep my hands in it. And I'm the resident speech language pathologist volunteer for my kids K to eight school. So I get to do lots of assessment and intervention uh, every week as I teach a couple of classes for some K to four students. So that's pretty fun.
0: Wonderful. And I think it's really important to highlight The importance of having that expertise in the classroom of a speech and language pathologist that has a background in articulation, because especially when we're looking at reading disabilities, such as dyslexia, there is that phonological awareness deficit, and it's something that we can identify and intervene early Now, when you look at assessment, there are various types of assessments that we can do for students. And, you know, it's not that we're just trying to teach to a test, get a certain score and say, oh, yay, everybody's, you know, at the 90th percentile, they're doing so well. No, we can use that information from assessment to help inform our teaching practices and how to support our students in the classroom. One of the Great ways we can do this is by doing screening assessments in those junior kindergarten kindergarten and primary years and those assessments can be so informative Mm -hmm. so as a teacher do you want to give us a little bit of feedback of what we can do in those those primary years that can really help us screen our students and inform our practices
2: yeah, um, I think if we just use um, assessments to, if we keep in mind that we're using assessments to learn more about what a student wants us to know to be able to grow them forward. So they're not gonna walk in to our classrooms and say, Good morning. My name is Llewellyn. I don't say my um, my Rs um, with you know with with perfection. I um, use th for an s sound. So whenever you're asking me, Llewellyn, you know, tell me any any you know, tell me you know your favorite food that starts with your your name. You know, these are all things that um, the the kids can't tell us walking in and going here. Here's my rap sheet. <laughs> but whenever we use standardized assessment, norm referenced, this is a way that we can go, this is what we expect for this grade level. This is norm referenced. So um, whenever I sit down to learn a little bit more about Llewellyn, this is what she's going to tell me that she knows based off of expected um, responses. And so I think it's a way that we can get a leg up and use our time wisely because we We always wish that we had more time to work with our students. But if we use an assessment, we can use that time most wisely to be able to map out what everyone needs.
0: Yes, and that's going to better inform our practices as educators so that we can move forward and see the greatest growth with our students. I don't think any teacher gets into the profession saying, you know what? I want to keep my kids where they're at and I want to make sure they get no progress throughout the year that I have them with. I want them to stay where they're at or go lower. No, of course, they want to see progress. They want to see their students doing better. And especially in these critical primary years, there is so much that we can do to help support our students. And looking at it as a specialist, uh, Tina, what are the things that you think that doing these screening assessments as a classroom teacher can do to help them? And then at what point do you think it's time for that teacher to seek out the specialist that can really help them, whether it's a speech and language pathologist, an occupational therapist, um, a school psychologist, like these are the people that are trained in those assessment methods, and interventions that you wouldn't likely have gotten from your basic teacher education program.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the bottom line, of course, is that we're all in this together. And so no matter what role we're in, we all have something to do to support support students in the classroom. I always think about classroom teachers in the way that they are the experts in the kids in school. And so as a specialist, I'm not gonna go one step into that classroom without having first talked to the classroom teacher who knows that student best, who is with that student for hours every single day and has so many examples of student behavior where they're doing great and showing their strengths and where they might be struggling in some ways. So for me as a specialist, my number one partner in a school is the classroom teacher. And it just has to be that way in my view. And so for me, when I think about assessment, there's a lot of criticisms that are leveled at assessment, especially standardized assessment. But I think it keeps us from from making mistakes with kids based on our own biases. A lot of people call standardized assessment biased and it can be if it's not built well. But think about who we are as people, as humans, we're also biased. We bring all our biases into the room with us. And so for us to protect those kids and get to them sooner and do it as a team, we need tools to be able to do that. And I think assessments of any kind and form can help us make those decisions best as a team um, where everybody can bring their expertise to bear. So I, I just think it's a partnership.
0: Yes, of course, and, you know, the the beauty of being a specialist is because you're not responsible for the entire class at the time that you're with them, you can do a more detailed look at some of the skills. So while a screening assessment, which I highly advocate the classroom teacher does, because that's going to give them the most impact and the most insight to their students' needs, But that classroom teacher doesn't have the time in their day to then take the student aside for 15, 20, even 30 minutes to do that more detailed assessment that's going to put those skills under the microscope so that we can say, oh, okay, so this is where the problem occurs. And that's especially important when we're looking at such a critical skill such as phonological awareness and phonemic awareness because that serves as one of the foundations of reading development Mm -hmm. and the more that we can do earlier the better it is for everyone.
1: Yeah I, I agree I mean there's so you've seen it in the literature people are talking about it for years this whole notion of this wait to fail model that we've We've been in for years and, and we just wait, oh, they'll catch up, they'll catch up. They won't catch up, right? We, we know that, the science is really clear on that. So we have to go in as quickly as we can. And we know so much now about the phonological system and its development and all the things that go into that, whether it be working memory or whether it be attention needs or whether it be you know any of the other things that can impact learning. The sooner we get in there, the better. Day one, you look at a student and you say, how can we help? And we then drill in as a team and we say, this is how we can help. I have a kindergarten teacher who's a dear friend of mine who's been teaching for 25 years. And she said to me at one point last year, Tina, by October 1st, I can tell you who's gonna make it. And here, here's the story. I send a letter home by the 15th of October. I say, here's what I'm saying in your student. Here's what I'm not saying. We've got 60 days, let's go get this done. I need your help, we're doing it together because this is what I see. And she knows, she knows almost at the beginning of the year what's gonna happen with her kinders. And so I just, I respect that so much in classroom teachers who are not willing to miss a day of instruction where we know so much about what to do.
0: Yeah. And, and I think having the humbleness and the ability to work as a team and not say, you know what, I have these letters behind my name. I know more than you, because experience really paves the way to success. Right. Yes. So, and having that collaborative approach because you know, you as a speech and language pathologist only have so much time to dedicate towards a single classroom or a single student. Whereas the teacher has a more time to spend with them as a class and identifying, okay, look, so I've done this assessment as a specialist with your student. These are the areas that we need to target. This is how I think you can do it within the whole class. That's not going to be you necessarily singling out this one student to focus on this one skill. Everybody in the class is going to benefit, but these are the skills that we need to focus on -on one-on-one. And hey, you know what? I have this other student in another class that needs that support too. So maybe we can find a time to work on it together. And it just helps facilitate that collaboration.
1: Yeah. And and Llewellyn, don't you think there's a there's a an element here where we're talking about planning together as well. We need to take the time as a team to say, you know what? I know you got a prep period here, you know, at this time of day. I'm coming in if you're free. And let's talk about how we're going to get this done and look at our schedules and do that work, which seems logistics logistical and it's uncool and it's boring and you you just have to do it. But once you do it, look at what can happen, not just for students, but for the health of the team in school and for demonstrating that we're going to get this job done. We're going to teach what needs to be taught right away.
2: Yeah, I I agree. So. My most recent um, school, uh, we had PLCs, the professional learning communities. So we had that um, once a week where all the teachers on the grade level came in and they had access to to the specialist team. So psychologist, special ed teacher, speech pathologist, social worker. Um, so we, we had a lot of team members who were able to go, mm, that seems about normal or, oh gosh, ooh, that is definitely a red flag. Let's talk about this. Do we have anybody else who's exhibiting these kind of behaviors? Um, one came up where um, we were really noticing uh, quite a bit of issues with OT with second graders, and and it was students had terrible letter formation. It was almost like they had never they'd never practiced letter formation um, in the three years they'd been in school, Um, and so and we knew that wasn't true. Um, But you know, a few other teachers around the table said, "Oh my gosh, I'm noticing the same thing." my goodness, there's no stamina, you know, starting, you know, in second grade, you know, you're not just writing words, you're writing, you're writing words into sentences and sentences into, um, paragraphs. Uh, So there, there, you know, there's a need for stamina. And, um, someone said, what about OT? So we reached out to our, um, partner who came in, she, she serviced three of the schools in the local area. She came into our next PLC the following week and said, yeah, absolutely. What you're seeing is not a shock to me. This is, um, this is what we're noticing. It's actually students with um, low trunk support. And we were like, no, 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 no. You didn't hear us. Hands. We're talking about hands and hand. She said, no, no, no. This, this started way before students ever got to school. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, so it, it reiterates that the earliest intervention is the best way forward. And as many, as many brains, as many problem solvers, as many advocates who can be on that team are, are really there for the best possible outcome for, um, that student. And then other students who learn similarly.
0: And that's where, again, having this assessment, helping, Because you're saying, it's just like, no, no, we're talking about printing letters here. But that's where the specialist experience comes in, the specialist knowledge to say, oh, well, we have to go back further than that. We have to, you know, peel back the layers of the onion or really understand. And as a classroom teacher, again, not in your training, unless you have something beforehand that gave you this knowledge And, you know, being in the trenches in the classroom, there is so much to know, so many resources out there that at least, you know, and you can't be a master at everything. Uh, And unless you've experienced a similar thing with one of your students in the past or a family member, close friend, that you've had that time to do the deep dive, you don't necessarily have the understanding at the level of the specialist who went to school and trained in it and something that may take you a whole semester or a whole term to figure out about this one student the specialist could come in spend 10 minutes with the students oh yeah so obvious to me but i'm that i'm not saying it should be obvious to you mm-hmm. but because i do this day in day out because i assess this on a regular basis and i i, I can pick up things because i've i've fine-tune my skills in this area, I can really help support you. And having that means that I'm going to help you set this student up for success, set your classroom up for success. Because for this example, I mean, think of the fatigue that those group of students in grade two are having just being asked to write the assignment. So the amount of time that you have to dedicate to this assignment is longer. So you have the kids that are fidgeting and frustrated because they're dumb, but everybody is like, okay, let's get done. We're ready for the next thing. So it's really taking things to that next level.
1: Yeah. I, I think about a story um, you were talking about specialists and their role and, and the humility involved in that. When I was early in my career, I was shadowing one of our leaders in a particular area of speech language pathology. And I was sitting with him and watching him for the day and A patient had come in, this was at the Mayo Clinic in uh, in Minnesota, and this woman was frustrated and, you know, she said, I've been to eight doctors, like, how how are you going to be the one that's going to do it? And he took one look at her and he said, this is, this is what's going on with your voice. And she says, how is this possible? I've been to eight or nine doctors and you took three minutes and you had this done and he stopped. And he got really quiet and he said, I also know what rain looks like because I see it every day. Mm
2: -hmm. And it was
1: just the most poignant professional lesson for me, not only in what he said, but the way he said it. And I think as teams, we come together and the things that we see every day come to us so quickly, but we have to have enough of our expertise, all the professional disciplines in the room so that when somebody sees their version of rain, that we can say, Hey, this is rain because I see it every day. And then we can crosstalk and use that together. One of my most favorite things to do is to sit in a group of professionals of different disciplines and look at assessment data. And the reason for that is because we all look at assessment data a little differently because we've all been trained to do it a little differently. And so as that conversation unfolds, we learn a tremendous amount from each other about our frames and our RAIN views, of course, and then we make the best decisions for students because all of the knowledge is there at the table. And it's so engaging. I just did this with two classroom teachers last Friday. We had their, there there's a day off school at my kids' school, and we were looking at k to four assessment data, and I said, okay, let's put up the reports and let's see what they look like." And we started to talk about these kindergarten students and their different profiles, and we're, you know, wrestling together with, what does this student's profile look like this? And this student looks like this, who's really at risk and why? And for us to be able to do that with this class of kindergartners was so engaging for all of us, but in different ways. And we walked out of that room and that classroom teacher said, you know what? I'm gonna change my plan because of this assessment data. And I'm gonna do this with the kindergartners tomorrow. And I walked into the classroom this morning or yesterday morning and I saw it and she did it and it, she was doing it on the floor with the kids in the letters, doing all of the matching of upper and lowercase letters, getting the sounds going, getting all those pieces because those kinders that we tested didn't have that skill yet. And it was just exactly the right thing. It was so much fun to be a part of.
0: Of course. And then making the assumptions about, okay, well, this is where they should be at because of their chronological age. They've passed this grade, that grade, the other grade they've they've had this background but that's not guaranteeing anything and you can't take it at face value you actually have to go in and get the data yourself because life's i mean i think everybody can relate to the challenges that we've faced over the past couple of years right and the different experiences that students have had regardless of what grade they're in yeah right
1: And there are some of us that, and I'm not considering myself necessarily in that camp, that can just make those course changes
2: Mm -hmm.
1: on the fly from observation in the classroom. Sometimes we need, and very often we need, assessment data to change our minds about what should be done in instruction or in further assessment or in accommodations for whatever are needed. Sometimes we need this additional data set to help, help us make different decisions more quickly. I think that's a that's one of the powerful opportunities in assessment that maybe we wouldn't get on our own.
0: Definitely. And and having that school based team or the sorry, you guys called them professional learning collaborate. Yeah. Professional learning communities. That's what we call it at my last school. Yes. So having that and realizing that you've worked with X many students and and I love I think it's, um, you know, a lot of the diversity groups say, you know, we've met uh, someone with autism, you've met one person with autism. Mm-hmm. Exactly. or you've met someone with Down syndrome, you've met one person with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's where taking that community approach or team approach, you're taking on the experiences of all these other individuals. And as a, a classroom teacher, You only get exposure to the students that you've had in your class in the past, whereas a specialist works with some of those lower incident cases on a regular basis. So they have, oh, oh, you know what, so-and-so this many years ago, oh, you know, I saw a similar profile to this. It's not exactly the same, but, you know, we tried this and it worked. How about we try it? And drawing on those experiences is invaluable. Mm -hmm. And it's all about taking the knowledge that you have as a community and using it to move these students forward. Yeah,
1: I agree. And I, and I think, I don't know Llewellyn what you think about this, but I think sometimes assessment data can prompt the decision because so often we muse about things in our heads, we'll see things and we'll maybe make observations about things and even talk about it with our colleagues. But when we get to look at this assessment data in the face, it sort of forces our decision-making. And I think that can be a good thing, especially for students who need us to act in a particular way, make decisions differently, sooner, quicker. It's hard to look at assessment data and just dismiss it because there's a reason that it happened the way it did. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons, of course, and in interpretation. That's why we all go to school for the years that we do because it's not trivial, but it certainly requires us to pay attention and then to make a decision based on those data.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that uh, big time. It almost um, ignites a sense of urgency because, especially again, if we're pulling, um, we're pulling data back into our professional learning communities. Um, w- we have an obligation to look at that, right? Otherwise, we're we're taking this data because it's a piece of compliance. We're not assigning any sort of um, fidelity um, or, or validity to it. We're just saying, okay, someone told me that this was great, fantastic. I'm still going to do things the way I've done it the last 23 years because I'm still the smartest person in my classroom, and you know, I I can look at students and I can make all of these anecdotal types of notes. And all of that is incredibly valuable, but it goes back to all of those anecdotals kind of lead us into a bias again. So we need something to center us. And then we need something that centers us with those students peers on that same grade level in a very similar setting. And then we need someone else to go, okay, what are you guys seeing? In that room, everyone knows what their scope and sequence looks like for their curriculum. They know the makeup of their students. They, you know, they've seen this data a few times. And then you have someone else come in who doesn't really have that day in, day out, um, really um, just, again, single, single view and has a completely different perspective and says, wait a minute, I noticed this and I noticed this and I noticed this. And and then all of a sudden it's like someone turned a light on and you feel professionally obligated if nothing else in the world to go, we need to do something about this. We need to do something about this yesterday. So I, I agree. It, um, it's not just a compliance piece anymore and I'm definitely hearing that with um, our, our education partners, um, especially who I get to work with in our territory, um, that um, they're like, this is great, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assessing students, I'm, I'm getting the required data but I see this, I need to do something about this. Where is a resource where, you know, we can tap into? um, It it is, it's just that professional obligation that we have um, to be able to to make more informed decisions.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I know one thing that maybe we should have started talking about earlier. Um, So there's different types of assessments, right? Uh, And and they have alphabet letters assigned to them. And sometimes it's a little bit tricky to remember what they mean and who can do them. So can we take a moment and talk about level A, level B, level C assessment, what they are and who they're targeted for?
1: Well, and do you want to start? I'll let you take the A.
2: So so our assessments inside
0: of of Pearson and what that looks like or... Just in general, looking at, you know, the ones that are screening, looking at the ones that, you know, um, uh, train teacher like the level B assessments, what are those, when do they come into play, what students should we look at doing them, and then, you know, the, the top level that you need that intensive training and supervision.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, I heard you say it earlier, screening, so what does that look like, um, who who can use it, um, everybody, right, it's screening, it's where we're wanting it to be short and sweet and to the point. So after we've done this piece, then what else, what else can we um, What else can we do if we need to? Then, um, you know, we can move in a little bit further after we get some screening and we're like, oh, wait a minute, um, maybe we need another another data point, right? So you can have multiple pieces inside of a screener. It's not just, um, let's say, letter, word, sound, fluency. Um, that, that's, not, that's not the screener. That we there that is a piece of a screener that we use to get a fuller picture. Tina, you want to go next?
1: Yeah, so I when I think of screener as a speech language pathologist, I'm thinking about ruling in and out risk for a clinical condition. So in in my world screeners look a little bit different because they're a little bit more clinically oriented, um, a little bit more of a litmus test. So In clinical screeners, you have a population in the data set that has the condition and a population that doesn't. And it allows you to then sort anyone else who comes into that mix and truly screen for risk. So when I think about a dyslexia screener, I think about that kind of population makeup in a sample that supports that screener's knowledge. If you're looking at a screener in the context of general education, then you're looking at it a little differently. Then you're looking at like, what are we gonna give universally to everyone that shows us characteristics of things that we're looking for? And so I think depending on how you define screener, um, it can be used by really anyone like Llewellyn said, but maybe for different purposes. And I think that's important to get really clear on when we're talking about screening in general education yeah, anybody can do that. You know, we can, they should be trained, of course, to do it with fidelity, right? And so as they deliver that screener, then you make decisions about who needs more assessment. And when you get to those higher levels of assessment, that's where more training is required, as you alluded to. So that's where you might get more of a diagnostic um, test, which is going to help you actually diagnose a condition, whether it's learning disabilities or um dyslexia or dysgraphia or something else right so there's layers of training required as the as the outcomes get more specialized and so that's where again the partnership between specialists and teachers in a school setting allow us to work together for Llewellyn to say as the expert in her students in her classroom hey Tina I've got these five kids of my 25 that I'm a little concerned about My universal screener showed up as X and they're at risk in my world and here's why. Can you help me with a little bit more assessment so that I can have more information about what's going on? So then I could come in um, with my training and say, yep, I drilled in even farther and here's what I see as underlying root cause. Here's what might be contributing to it. And here are other questions I have that either you can answer or we have to go find a third friend in our team who can help us answer that question. And so that's where the layers of assessment, I think you were alluding to, are so important because we're not gonna do everything in general universal screening in general ed, nor should we. Um, And as the process moves along, we're all surrounding that student with more and more information for supports so that we can do the best instruction that we need to do every single day.
0: Of course. And it's. An, I think it's important to mention that. So the, the screening is, it can be done by anyone with a experience and training in that piece. It's not extensive training that's going to take years and years to get. It could be done in a Pro-D session where you figure out how to use a screening measure and you can deliver it to everyone in your classroom to test the waters, see who needs more. Right. Now you can do progress monitoring measures to see and say, okay, well, we're doing these interventions. We're trying to support these skills. Is it working? Do I need to change? And there's going to be some students that, yeah, okay, great. They're moving forward. We're getting the response that we need. But then we look at some of the students that are just resisting that improvement and we need to go further. So um, there are, you know, the, the achievement testing, which is typically a a level B assessment. And that takes more training, but you don't need to get, you don't have to become a school psychologist or a speech and language pathologist or an occupational therapist to get the training for it. As a school teacher, you can do um, training to do a level B assessment. And that gives you that little bit more understanding where the student is at based on the norms and other students, and that's going to give those red flags to say, okay, well, there's a big gap. Maybe we need to go further and look at those cognitive assessments to understand the process at a deeper level Mm -hmm. and see if there is an appropriate diagnosis for the student.
1: Right. Right. Because that then leads to either accommodations in helping their experience and their environment, meet them where they are. Or that specialized intervention that we typically call special education. Those students, there are students that need to be in special education, and there are students that need better instruction in the classroom and not special education. Mm. So we have to be able to make good decisions as a team about where those students need the best supports. Um, and assessments help us do that. And so th- those are all parts of a workflow or a process that professionals go through together to use the right tools for the right assessments at the right time.
0: Exactly. And it's important to mention that these aren't just assessments for academic learning. There's also ones that have to do with social emotional development and looking at things like executive functions. So those cognitive processes that act as your filter, it helps you with learning and understanding everything. So as a classroom teacher, again, this is likely not going to be something that's in your toolbox unless you've done further training. But there are specialists that can come in, help support you, do these assessments and say, hey, look, these are areas that this student is struggling and it may be the reason why you're seeing these behavioral issues in the class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And that has been, thankfully, um, that has been my experience, regardless of where I've been. It it really has um, started at the teacher level. Okay, this is the data I've collected, or this is what we see inside of screening. Okay, so then next set of eyes, this is what we saw. Is is there anything just in this, and it doesn't necessarily have to come immediately back to looking at the student, it can just be looking at that data piece with a, a different set of eyes. And then, you know, if, like you said, the progress monitoring, which is, I get entirely too excited about progress monitoring. So I'll just keep it, I'll keep it simple here, but the progress monitoring, it's it validates the work you're doing. So, you know, it um, so again, I'm not going to get too excited about it, but, you know, once, once you once you've launched that progress monitoring now you have another data point with in combination with your screening data so now what what do what does it look like what do the different lenses say oh goodness you're right it's time to come in and someone i've always had someone go before we get too much further into this i just want to come in and observe so it's it's tina coming into my classroom going yeah, I wonder what his conversations look like with his peers. I wonder if he's able to um, initiate a question with you. you know, they're, they're just those observation pieces that are still considered screening. So it's like screening, progress monitor, screening, maybe moving into diagnostic when we move into that student support team. Like oh, we've we've kind of checked all of these boxes. We have more assessment data here to go yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a trend. Let, let's try these things. It's, it's like Tina said, it's not always that you need an accommodation. You just may need better instruction in that piece. So, you know, it's assess, evaluate, and not evaluate like, um, you know, diagnostic kind of evaluate. Evaluate, is this working? Kind of the progress monitoring piece of it. Um, and to be able to have the professionals come in and be able to offer their their lens in in my classroom as a teacher of yeah this this is something I noticed that you're doing Llewellyn like and also being open to that of yes I am the expert in my classroom but I'm I'm always learning and so I need to be need to be open to that piece too is maybe I'm saying this a certain way that that, that causes I don't know, a student to think one way where I need a student to think another, that coaching piece, um, you know, even from just um, my teammates that have, that bring, that bring these additional tools to the table. Um, I, I love it. And I, it's like I said, I am grateful that that has been my experience um, throughout out my career, that everyone does come to the table ready to support in some kind of way.
0: Definitely. And and I think we need to change the narrative on assessments uh, because I think there is a bad rep, especially when we look at, you know, the statewide or the province-wide assessments that are done at set intervals. Um, I have a child in grade four. So in grade four, they do testing across the province and, you know, everyone's like, oh, teaching to the test, making sure they know what's on the test. And it's, Unfortunately, it has been tied to funding and resources in the past, but those aren't the assessments we're talking about here today. What we are focusing on is assessments about the student that it's going to inform our practice, and we don't want to teach to these assessments. We don't want the teacher to say, oh yeah, I bought that test so I can teach these words so that the kid can get 100%. That's not going to give anyone any valuable information to help inform how we can do better for that student. And, you know, in some of the higher level tests when we're looking at cognitive abilities, the important thing is to have it as a novel task. So it's not something that the student does on a regular basis because we want to see how in this new situation, they use their skills to approach that problem. Set. Yeah,
1: I, I think you're right. I mean, I, assessment does kind of get a bad rap. And I always chuckle a little when I say what I'm about to say next, you know, that I work for a test publisher, but I'm gonna say it out loud, more assessment is not always better. Mm-hmm. The right assessment is essential. So I think we have to always remind ourselves and each other that the right assessment at the right time is critical and just throwing more assessment at a situation isn't always the right thing but it can be a really critical and helpful thing if you do it right in the right way. Um, And so I I think it's so important that while we, it's easy to criticize just about anything right now, right? Um, But as we think about assessments, sure there are times that it's misused and misappropriated, but when we're following the right thing assessment, whether it's observation, like Llewellyn was saying a second ago, observation is assessment. So whether or not you choose to measure that way or choose to give a, letter naming fluency task, right? It's all assessment, but why are you using it? And to what end to benefit the student? Then you apply that right assessment at the right place in the right time. And it's gold, but it's not a fire hose. Like you shouldn't just Mm -hmm. do assessment for assessment's sake, because who has time for that? We have money things to do, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and especially in the schools where they may only get you know, a few assessments a year, if you're looking at something like a psychoeducational assessment. right? And parents are like, oh, you know, mine's, we had one last year, but we need this year to see the progress. Well, no, they're not meant to be given on an annual basis. There needs to be a point for the assessment. And that's where something like progress monitoring may be appropriate because there are some things that, aren't going to be supportive and doing a full psychoeducational assessment or a neuropsych evaluation or a speech language assessment or an occupational therapy assessment. It takes hours, not just hours to complete with the student where they're missing out from other quality instruction and intervention. It takes at least double the time for the psychologist or the specialist to write the report and use and create this report. Unfortunately, A lot of these reports go into a file and are barely looked at. And that's one of my frustrations is that these reports are not being used appropriately and teachers aren't getting the information that they need to get out of them because they don't have the understanding or the know-how to do it.
1: That's why the team effort is so important, right? we've got to work on this and if we're going to spend the time in assessment which is critical the right tools at the right times then we have to talk about those data or what why did we spend that time in the assessment um it, it's just it's just being mindful of how we use our time and and for what purpose but i totally agree with you it can get lost in a on a shelf or in a file somewhere and And how will we help that student if we haven't communicated what we learned in that assessment process, however we've done it. Mm -hmm. So it's just as important for me to debrief with Llewellyn walking out the school door at the end of the day. Hey, I was in your classroom for five minutes and I was working with this student. But I noticed this student over here and I kind of kept a half an eye on him. And tell me about this one, because that sort of raised a red flag for me then I hear Llewellyn's expertise and then I chalk it up to something else or, oh, no, we agree. We should probably drill into this some more. And then it's conversations with parents and, you know, as partners in this process, who are the true experts in their children, of course. So let's, you know, not forget to say that out loud, because when we assess, if we don't have that parent perspective, we have missed it um, because the parents are clearly the experts in their children. Um, And so as, as a as a person who does assessment, then it's incumbent upon me as a professional to engage that that level of assessment and that dialogue so that I get the best data out of my entire process.
0: Of course, and the parent definitely is a key player because you know, when you're looking at a classroom teacher, unless there's something like a Waldorf school where it follows them throughout you know, you have your kindergarten class until I don't know if it's grade eight or grade 12 or something, but you follow them along. But when you have that year buy-in to this student, and of course you you care for them, you love for them, you want what's best for them, but the time frame that you're working with them is so short, especially if there's been a lot of transitions and movement between schools and whatever. So that parent has so much information about what's happened before. And they also have that big picture. They're not just looking about at the next 10 months with that student or however long you have left. They're looking at, this is how I need to set my child up for success for life. Right. So it's, it's having that other perspective within the conversation and also judging the parent's readiness for those conversations. Very true. Very true. That's a really good point. Um, because as, as a parent with children with exceptionalities, uh, it can be overwhelming, right? Yeah. Uh, and as someone that is severely dyslexic and has gone through that stu- that process as a student with dyslexia and the trauma that it can bring up from my past, knowing that impact on my response, so it's that that careful dance between everybody involved, but realizing that assessment is to try and put that right lens on the situation to go from a blurry picture to a clear, crisp vision. That's going to help create that path for the students and teachers.
1: Yep. And it's respectful at the bottom line, right? It's just respectful of parents and their roles in bringing up children Um, having four kids of my own, I understand that. And I I just applaud parents who like some of us have to go through a number of stories of good and struggle in their kids' lives right alongside them and to make them partners in that process is not only empowering for kids but also for parents as well, I think. But you're right, it is a dance and assessment can be scary to parents many of whom have not been trained in any kind of educational assessment practice. And so to be mindful of that and very respectful of what all they do know and bring to that conversation so you're the right partner in that process, I think is paramount.
0: Of course, and as that specialist and and the teacher understanding when you're towing the edge of the line, And when you can push a little bit further, because especially when we're looking at some of these more formal assessments that look at things like processing speed and working memory, if parents understand that that is a strength or a weakness for their child and understanding what that means at home and in the classroom can really be the difference between a a fight or a struggle and a success Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because if you're asking something that the child can't do or you're doing something in a way that is aggravating the situation I mean I I can think of students that I've worked at in the past that you know the teacher's response is okay this kid is struggling so I just need to slow down what I'm saying so that they can understand but the student has a really fast processing speed and like well you know what i heard you the first four times i know what you said but it didn't click you need to say it differently not just slower
2: right
0: Right. uh and that can create a lot of friction in the classroom and there with the relationship and understanding oh okay so it's not just slowing down this conversation that's just going to infuriate the student and create more tension between us so right. that's where things like these assessments and the formal assessments can really help us unlock the secrets behind the student's um, profile and how to best support them.
1: Right. Exactly. And, and to demystify the assessments because they look so, I don't even know if there's a word I, I want to just like, Oh, <laughs> make some noise. That's sort of like,
2: Oh, something big, but yeah. it's, uh, it's They're daunting. If you don't know it's daunting. It
1: is. It is. And so I think it's really our job as professionals, whether we're teachers or specialists or both of us or all of us, as we think about our work, it's to talk through what this assessment means. I know this task is contrived. It's made up. You'll never do this kind of task in real life, nor will we ever do this in the classroom. But here's why this task on a formal assessment is important because what we know is if they struggle on this task, it's a marker for something else. So we use this weird task that's not normal that nobody's ever seen before in real life, but it matters because we know mo- so much more about what this task tells us about other things. And so to even say that out loud, sometimes we'll just, you just see shoulders drop and like sighs and parents, oh, okay, now I get it. Okay, I understand now. I'll. I'll get on board again. Um, and sometimes even colleagues will need to hear that. Like, yep, we're never gonna intervene on rapid automatic naming in the classroom. We're just, we're just not gonna <laughs> do rotation. that. rotation. Yeah, we're just never yes. gonna do that, right? Yes. But in assessment, we need to do tasks like this because they tell us so much about how kids' brains are working. Okay. and So that's just really important for us to do, but it looks weird sometimes to others. So it's our job I think one of our jobs is to communicate this is the speech language pathologist in me talking it's our job to communicate clearly about what we're doing and why mm-hmm. And
2: I think too having that that piece of assessment to say this is what we're we're asking and and it looks real schooly right it looks real like Letter letter naming fluency, letter words. So let's let's say we're talking about that. Um, you're right. You're not going to go home and have these. Con- you're not going to say, "Go ahead, run through the letters with me. Name all of the things you can possibly name." With you don't do that. But there are other pieces where our school psychologist um, at my last school was very good about tying in. This is the test that we use. I'm wondering at home, whenever you say this, what kind of response do you get? And so the parent thinks that they're having a solely academic conversation and then someone else can come in and say, this piece of academic data that we just got is also going to explain why you may not have any sort of academic focus in what's going on, but it also helps to explain why you notice these behaviors as well. Um, I, I' found I can't tell you the amount of student support team meetings that we sat in on where it's like you said, Tina, you know we start out with that education conversation of I'm you, you know, I am the teacher. this is my job to you know to to launch these screeners for the student. This is what I noticed that concerns me. You know, do you have any concerns? And the parent, of course, says, no, I don't have concerns because, again, you're not you're not racing around behind your student with these activities that that's silly. So then whenever someone else comes in and, and kind of brings context to that at what it could look like at home, it's like, wow, this is something that this that, yes, I'm hearing you say this for the first time this school year. But this is what I've noticed Last year in in school, I noticed this. I noticed in preschool all of the, and so now we start to get a really whole child picture, right? It's, it's family members are really integral to building that that full puzzle, right? Because otherwise we just have missing pieces that we're trying to we're trying to to kind of color in instead of just finding that right piece and 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 putting it where it belongs, Um, because we're all we're all trying to make sense of the little pieces that we know about as to why it should look this way.
0: Well, and I think it plays that important role of understanding whether it's the situation or the child, because sometimes there's that, just that mismatch mm-hmm. of student and teacher, and, you know, you're going to do your best with that student, but there's just something, and it, you just don't click properly, and you're still going to do your best, and you say, okay, I'm noticing this, but you know, is this what you see? And the parents are like, what are you talking about? Like, we have no problem at all. And they're like, oh, okay. So not something that I need to work on to figure out how to fix it. But it's like, oh yeah, you know, that always happens. And you know, this is what they do. Um, well, a, the parents may have a solution that works for you in the classroom exactly. Exactly. and b it'd be like, oh, okay. So this is something that we need to look into further because it's not just happening here. And it's not just from, this day it's something that we've seen long term with this individual and they need support so that they can have success uh to get better Well, not get better but have have the success that they deserve right in in some situations it may be the individual especially when we're looking at things um when you're looking with students with some of the less um the lower incidence conditions uh, and someone who struggles with working memory, there's l- very little that we can do to change that. And it's going to have an impact in their daily life, but we can give them strategies to help support that issue with working memory.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And as we're at wrapping up, I want to zoom out and go from the classroom to the, to the, the school, to the district. What role does assessment have at these three levels like in the classroom why do we need the ass- assessment this is my favorite we we need the assessment
2: because we need to learn more about the, the humans that we get to interact with you know during a school year it it's a responsibility if we're being honest like mm-hmm. it it's it's your job at, as the as the leader in that room the leader for learning you know to to get as much Information as you possibly need, um, as you can get, so that you can make the the right decisions at the right time.
1: I I am thinking about because I can't say it better than Llewellyn about the classroom. So she she wins all of all of the points for that. I think about it at the school and district level, and I think two things. One, I think we have an ethical obligation to do assessment so that we do no harm. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a big piece of the role of assessment. But also, let's be practical. There, there are finite resources in every school system. And so we do assessment because we have to divide those resources out in particular ways. And to do that, we have to do that empirically. We can't do it just how we feel on a given morning. Oh, I think I'll just you know, put a bunch of resources over here because that feels right today. We, we owe our students better than that. So we do it practically, but we also also do it ethically.
2: And I look at it from a school level as systems of support. So, you know, this if if you're looking at it from an administrator coach level, then um, you know you're going, okay, this is what this student needs, and if that this is what this student needs, maybe this is also what this teacher needs a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Assessments. I think help systems do their work mm. um, with not an over-reliance on assessment because that takes out the human factor sometimes, which we, if we let it, which we shouldn't, um, but I, I think to do our work best at the system level, whatever level that system is, we use assessment to do those decision-making things best.
0: And that helps for planning going forward. Mm when we're looking at professional development needs and for staff allocation and what things are gonna look like over the next five years instead of just having that immediate focus of tomorrow. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tina and Llewellyn. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Do you have any final thoughts?
1: I just want to thank you uh, for inviting us. It's a, always a great conversation to talk about assessment, um, and so I just really appreciate the time.
0: Thank you.
2: Yeah, I'm with Tina. I, I appreciate, uh, especially, to your your effort into making the making sure assessment is is a tool for us, right? It's it's, it's um, rather than oh, that word, you know, yeah. it's something that we can use, you know for all of our stakeholders, it's, it's a useful tool if we use it in the right way, of course. Um, and, and to be able to, to not have to think about that as, you know, having to give up this amount of time, you know, assessment, assessment can be a a really awesome thing. Um, and I, I just appreciate your effort and really opening up people's, um, minds, um, to, to how great it can be. Wonderful. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.